Welcome to the Altruistic Libertarian, Advocate for a Genuinely Free Society. I'm Anthony Wheeler, and today we complete our sequence on war with a focus on Vietnam and Afghanistan. The Vietnam War while reasonable arguments can be made for U.S. involvement in Europe and the Pacific during World War II, and even the Korean War, one conflict that can be considered unjustifiable was Vietnam. The entire episode in history was one long, unnecessary tragedy. After World War II, the French wished to reestablish their pre-war colony in Vietnam. The Viet Minh, the armed Vietnamese who fought against the French, resisted. During World War II, and shortly thereafter, the U.S. was sympathetic with Ho Chi Minh, the Vietnamese leader, in the man's quest for independence, as it was post-war policy to generally support the decolonization of the region. However, this changed when Mao gained power in China in 1949, and Ho Chi Minh's communist affiliations made his ascension to power problematic. The West, led by a uniquely powerful America, found itself confronted by aggressive communism everywhere. To resist that threat, the U.S. provided material support to the French in Indochina, mostly trucks and ammunition and a few advisors in the 50s, along with financial aid. French rule ended on the battlefield in 1954 when they suffered a major defeat at Dien Bien Phu. The U.N. negotiated peace agreement stipulated that North and South would be reunited with free elections to be held in 1956. Up to this point, U.S. policy was understandable, given what was known at the time. However, their failure to support the U.N. resolution and respect the coming elections and instead prop up the artificial and unhistorical Republic of South Vietnam borders on the criminal. The U.S. was worried that Vietnam would become a communist Chinese puppet without understanding that Vietnam won its independence from China a thousand years before and would never submit to Chinese rule. Had the elections taken place, Ho Chi Minh would likely have been elected leader and the country would have been nominally communist. However, unlike North Korea, Vietnam would have quickly joined the world community and contributed as a free nation, as has since happened since the war ended in 1975. Anyway, after the establishment of the Republic of South Vietnam, one international crime led necessarily to another as a new rebel force emerged in the South, the Viet Cong, and North Vietnam fought to make their nation whole. They were supported in this endeavor by both China and the Soviet Union with arms, money, and political support. The U.S. provided South Vietnam with money, guns, training, and advisors. The next major phase began in 1964 when two U.S. naval warships sailed provocatively close to North, in North Vietnamese waters, prompting a response from the Vietnamese. Reportedly, gunboats were dispatched to intercept the U.S. ships, the Maddox and the Turner Joy. The USS Turner Joy and the USS Maddox were modern American warships, well-armored and armed with significant firepower, ships capable of sailing across the Pacific. They were facing speedboats armed with machine guns. After these warships sailed in North Vietnamese waters, they claimed to have been fired upon by enemy vessels. No damage was given or taken, and no casualties reported on either side. Ironically, it's highly unlikely an actual battle took place in Tonkin Gulf. President Johnson at the time said something like, For all I know, our Navy was shooting at whales out there. He was also reported to have said, Hell, those dumb, stupid sailors were just shooting at flying fish. 
Despite the nebulousness of this encounter, Congress passed the Tonkin Gulf Resolution unanimously in the House, two dissenting votes in the Senate. This resolution allowed the President to, to deploy U.S. combat troops overseas without declaring war. Until that moment, only Congress could declare war, and troops could only be sent into battle after such a declaration. In 1965, without declaring war, and under the powers vested in him by the Tonkin Gulf Resolution, the President sent the first of hundreds of thousands of com American combat troops to fight in Vietnam. Just a few years later, after U.S. officials expressed time and time again the progress being made against the insurgents, announcing once again an impending victory, the Viet Cong launched a full-scale attack during the holiday of Tet in 1968. For the first time, they battled strength against strength, and the Americans finished with an overwhelmingly, overwhelming tactical victory. But in that victory, they recognized defeat. The Vietnamese people were never going to allow the Americans to remain in control of their country if it took another thousand years of war. Tet was the, end of the, be was the beginning of the end. The Vietnam War was a human catastrophe of historic proportions, mechanized evil on a hideous scale. Indiscriminate terror bombing, illegal invasions in Cambodia and Laos, documented massacres of innocent civilians, interference in foreign political processes ordering honorable men and women in the armed forces into impossible situations, arming them with weapons of unbelievable destructive powers, asking them to fight, die, and kill, all for no good reason. The best estimates calculated war-related war deaths in Vietnam somewhere between 800,000 and over a million, with another two to 300,000 Cambodians killed. The Laotians lost 35,000 people or so. And of course, over 58,000 Americans lost their lives. We remember them because their names are carved in a wall in Washington, D.C. What we really need is a wall with the names of every Vietnamese, Cambodian, and Laotian victim of the war. Perhaps such a memorial would make the politicians think twice before entering another foreign war. Before the U.S. entered the war, Nobody in Vietnam posed a threat to anyone in this country, and the nation of Vietnam never threatened the United States. There was never any justification to put Americans in harm's way in Vietnam or to apply such massive destructive force against its land and people. 9-11 and Afghanistan The attack on the Twin Towers on 9-11 was horrific and beyond rational comprehension. But consider this. The Taliban didn't participate, fund, or support the attacks in any way. Al-Qaeda was entirely responsible. Saudis and Yemenis, not Afghans, took control of those planes. Yet the U.S. waged a war against the Taliban, killed callous Afghans in the process, and fostered regime change in Afghanistan. Over 4,000 Americans have died in the conflict over the past 20 years, fighting an enemy that poses no threat to the United States. The traditional form of Islam practiced by the Taliban is culturally medieval, primitive to an alarming degree, and treats women as little more than household slaves. After the Soviets left that country in 1989, they had invaded Afghanistan in 1979, the Taliban won most of the country in ensuing civil war about four years later. When they came to power, the Taliban removed all girls from school and women as teachers halting most formal education. They executed drug, tra 
drug traffickers, essentially ending the drug trade within their political boundaries. In other words, Taliban culture hard, could hardly differ more from modern American civilization. The same primitiveness, however, ensures that they will never, as a people or as a nation, threaten the United States. That being the case, it is no business of U.S. citizens how they live or justify violent intervention to force more modern ways upon them. Comparing the Vietnam War and Afghanistan. Comparing the two conflicts will help illuminate how they were especially egregious, immoral, purposeless, and without justification. Number one. In both cases, the U.S. intervened within a civil war against a population that had already demonstrated their ability to win and rule. The Vietnam, Vietnamese after Dien Bien Phu in 1954, and the Taliban after defeating a, the Marxist regime in Kabul. Two, both the Vietnamese and the Taliban represent populations united in purpose. For the Vietnamese, their nation. And for the Taliban, their theological unity and preferred lifestyle. A significant percentage of the Afghan population, likely a majority, certainly a violent majority, possess a worldview antithetical to the occupying Americans. They have very little in common. The Taliban wish to live in a manner that strikes most of us as barbaric, medieval, and technically primitive. But from their perspective, we are the evil ones, decadent and sinful. They believe we worship technology and money at the cost of our souls. They don't want their children corrupted by our education, our music, our drugs. And it's impossible to prove they are wrong in their moral judgment. Our respective civilizations are essentially irreconcilable. At least they are in Afghanistan. 3. The, both the Vietnamese and the Taliban had outside support and sanctuary in Vietnam the North, Laos, and Cambodia with material support from the Soviet Union and the Taliban from Pakistan. In both cases, the U.S. was unwilling or unable to interdict and cut off this political, logistical lifeline, ensuring endless war. In other words, the U.S. was never going to win in Vietnam or Afghanistan. In order to fully achieve our political objectives, we would have had to occupy Afghanistan and likely Pakistan, indefinitely, and exert massive and ongoing repression of the entire population within the region. The effort would likely bankrupt our economy with little political or economic gain. We would never even make the attempt. And even if the U.S. did invade Pakistan and temporarily shut down the sanctuaries, what happens next? Would they exterminate the Pashtuns? Of course not. Are they going to remain in Pakistan indefinitely? No, but that's what it would take to permanently defang the Taliban. 4. In both cases, the U.S. was viewed as an armed aggressor and occupier, and no amount of nation-building, demonstrated goodwill, or generous economic aid would change that. The situation was routinely aggravated by the killing of civilians, a predictable and unavoidable given the nature of the conflict. A Colonel Robert Cassidy summarized the situation as follows, and I quote, Expanding that war after 
under the risably incongruent notion of global war on terrorism was a massive policy blunder and the decision to invade Iraq so maladroitly for absolutely no just or logical cause was the worst foreign policy decision by a U.S. president. It engendered massively bad implications and consequences for the Muslim world, Iraq, the U.S., the effort to dismantle Al-Qaeda, and the war in Afghanistan. We ended up killing or causing the killing of a hundred times the number of civilians that Al-Qaeda killed on 9-11. In the end, it catalyzed more conflicts and helped create many more Islamic terrorists inimical to the U.S. than had existed on 9-11. The number of suicide bombers that emerge as a consequence is compelling." Unquote. My response to the Colonel? As for the results of U.S. policy and middle military action after 9-11, including the Second Gulf War and the war in Afghanistan, I have to say, Osama bin Laden won. He couldn't have asked for anything more to further his agenda. The U.S. played into his hands perfectly. 5. In both conflicts, it was impossible to distinguish enemy combatants from civilians. This necessarily leads to additional civilian casualties and heightened anxiety on combat troops. There exists a deep irony in the military mission in Afghanistan that essentially mirrors the American military effort in Vietnam. In both cases, the Americans made significant efforts to win the hearts and minds of the people. Countless programs existed in both instances to build schools, infrastructure, help farmers, and demonstrate how beneficial the American occupation could really be. These efforts were routinely undermined by the actual behavior of the military. In Vietnam, both the Army and Marines routinely displayed a complete lack of respect for the Vietnamese, calling them gooks and treating, and treating them as less than human. There are many documented accounts of rape, massacre of civilians, routine burning of villages, major disruption of villagers relocated to refu refugee camps, along with the indiscriminate bombing and machine gunning from the air. Prisoners were simply not taken. They were typically tortured and then added to the almighty body count. It is my fervent hope, and I think there is reason to believe this hope is not futile, that the Americans in Afghanistan have behaved in a less destructive manner than they did in Vietnam. Even so, we have documented evidence that many Afghans were treated harshly. 6. In both conflicts, there, was no, there were no enemy lines, the enemy could be anywhere, and no objectives that could be permanently held outside of fortified encampments. In Vietnam, this led directly to the murder of civilians, the burning of villages, and indiscriminate fire. Reconnaissance by fire, it was called. I suspect that combat troops in Afghanistan were equally challenged, but performed far better and limited unnecessary casualties. Regardless, these combat conditions put, puts enormous and unfair pressure on the armed forces on the ground. 7. In both conflicts, significant U.S. casualties were caused by booby traps in Vietnam and IEDs in Afghanistan. 8. In both conflicts, terror attacks were common. Grenades thrown in buses and discos in Vietnam, suicide and car bombers in Afghanistan. 9. In both conflicts, the enemy possessed little in the way of infrastructure. In Vietnam, the Air Force struggled to find targets worth bombing, while in Afghanistan, most drone attacks are against persons. In other words, the traditional targets of a modern military, 
tanks, planes, ships, factories, etc., were largely absent. This, along with the rough terrain in both conflicts, negated the technological advantage the USA, the U.S. military generally enjoys. 10. In both conflicts, the same asymmetry existed, where the enemy faced an existential threat, whereas the U.S. fought for some relatively minor political or military advantage. In other words, the Vietnamese and the Taliban were, were willing to suffer far greater losses than the Americans ever would because they were fighting for far more. In other words, to win in Afghanistan or Vietnam would have cost the U.S. far more in lives and money than we as a nation would ever endure. It was simply not worth it. Another implication arises from this insight. The decision to deploy military forces into another country should be based on the most serious of considerations. Specifically, direct national defense, like in World War II for instance, or the initial invasion of Afghanistan to destroy Al-Qaeda. The only other criteria would be to contribute to international rule of law. Examples of this include the initial stage of the Korean War, response to Serb aggression in the Balkans, Vietnam's 1979 invasion of Cambodia to halt the killing fields, and the first Gulf War. 11. Both wars ended the same. Shortly after the Americans withdrew their military support, the opposition took full control of the country. In Vietnam, it took about two years, from 1973 to 1975, but in Afghanistan, it took a mere four months from the time it was announced April 15, 2021, until August 30 of that same year when the Taliban entered Kabul. This, despite the years of support, training, and billions of dollars the U.S. invested in the government, in the military, demonstrating perfectly how futile the entire effort. It turns out, in the end, for both Vietnam and Afghanistan, there was nothing there for the United States to win. An occupied world. The U.S. remains ensconced with combat units in, in Korea, air bases in Turkey, military units throughout Europe, special forces in Iraq, naval bases in Cuba, the Philippines, Japan, and Okinawa, and likely military installations in places we don't even know about. These international deployments take a massive amount of resources and distort local economies and regional politics. No other country on earth has so many military men and women stationed on foreign soil. And unsurprisingly, no other country on earth is so ubiquitously hated. The cost to Americans is staggering, both in money and lives. The taxes we pay should support military forces that protect our nation from the aggression of other nations. They should demonstrate a higher moral plane, not lowered into the steaming depths of corrupt wastelands. They shouldn't be policing the world, or protecting economic interests, or propping up foreign regimes, or toppling unfavorable ones. Any foreign involvement should be done within the context of the international community, or on behalf of a particular, al particular ally, one with reciprocating security agreements. With few exceptions, all U.S. military installations overseas should be removed. Most, if not all, U.S. personnel should be returned home. The U.S. should only exert violent force in exceptional circumstances and only when the security of this nation is clearly threatened. The only other acceptable reason to exert violent military force would be in conjunction with other nations to support the international rule of law and only as a last resort. American lives and the lives of non-Americans should be considered precious 
and threatened only when absolutely necessary. It is our government's specific and primary responsibility to protect American citizens, not sub subject them uselessly to mortal danger in some far-off place. Honorable fights exist, but they are rare, about as common as snowballs in late spring. Well, that concludes our show for today and our sequence on war. Next time we take a, take a look at impediments to change. Until then, and I really mean this, peace.